Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-fiving friends. I'm so excited you're here as always and have an amazing guest to introduce. Today, we're going to be talking with Carice Laguerre. Carice, like many parents, suffered in silence while her children struggled with the symptoms of undiagnosed sleep and breathing issues. One visit to a pediatric dentist changed the trajectory of their lives. Already already a registered dental hygienist, Carice trained with Sandra Holtzman, Lois Laney and Sarah Hornsby to establish her orofacial myology knowledge. With this initial training and numerous others in a few short years, she has not only resolved all her children's issues, but helped hundreds of patients, children, and adults alike discover how great life can be functioning on full. Her private practice, the Myo Spot, is now a leader in the quest for myofunctional therapy, awareness, and public education. Her latest published book, Accomplished, delves into how to sleep better, eliminate burnout, and execute goals. Carissa's mission is to transform and positively impact as many households as possible through dynamic breathing, our breath, brain, and body work. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We're excited you're here. Um, I'd love to just kind of start out by talking a little bit about how you got to doing what you're doing. I know it was a little bit in the bio, but um, I'd love to just hear your your version. Well, I think as all things, when you're a parent, you start to dive into new things once you get into that world of parenting. I'm a mother of four, and I had a lot of different things going on in my home. But as many parents do, we tend, when people ask, how's everything or how are the kids, we tend to give just the highlight reels. Mm -hmm. I mean, we might even sometimes do that with our, you know, physicians too. And so we'll say this one's in dance, this one's here, this one's doing great in school, honor roll, all the highlights, right? But I actually have a lot of stuff going on underneath the highlights. So my son is my only boy and the oldest, and he had a lot of behavioral and impulse control issues, hyperactivity, mm-hmm. inattentiveness, very classic ADHD presenting. Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter had every sleep issue under the sun. I mean, you name it, and we were experiencing it. Every night we were guaranteed bedwetting, but it would always be accompanied by something else, sleepwalking, snoring, uh, night terrors, mm-hmm. falling out of bed, tossing and turning, all sorts Oof. of stuff uh, for 10 years straight. Oh my goodness. Every single night. And then my youngest two daughters, we had a lot of issues with breastfeeding and then upper respiratory things. It got to the point where they had so many ear infections, throat infections, that my husband at one point looked at the pediatrician and said, Can you just prescribe us a keg of amoxicillin? Like, I don't know why we have to keep coming back for the same prescription. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff really under the fold of those highlight reels that you know when you tell everybody everything's good because you feel like a lot of that stuff a lot of what I mentioned is normal a lot of people are going through right you feel like oh okay this is totally normal but what it really is is common and it took a pediatric dentist to really put together the pieces of the puzzle for me that a lot of what my children were experiencing though very different for each one of them was all aligned in the same manner with how they were using their oral facial muscles and how they were breathing. 
And once we started dealing with that, I was hooked because I got to meet my children for the very first time at the Mm -hmm. end of that journey. And so I am super passionate about spreading the word to help other parents help their children overcome, but also to help those children who grew up, who are now adults and who are dysfunctional, who might see some of the issues that my children that I just mentioned had, and they might be like, oh, I experienced that when I was younger. It amplifies when you get older and there's not a time limit. You can address it. So super passionate about all of it and kind of fell into the world because of my children. But now I stay in it because of all the wonderful difference that it's making for people everywhere. Amazing. Oh my goodness. I got goosebumps when you're like, I got to meet my children for the first time. Wow. It's just, it's crazy to think about how, like you were saying, the breath and how you're using the muscles in your face can impact not only like our sleep, right? Which makes sense when we think about it, but also like the ADHD presenting symptoms of like hyperactivity and inattentiveness. Like that's wild to me. I think that was something that really drew me to you. I was like, wow, how does that impact it? Yeah. So when we think about ADHD, I think what a lot of us tend to forget is that it's a very symptom-based diagnosis. Mm -hmm. There is no blood work that you can get where they're going to find certain markers that are like, oh, yep, ADHD. Mm -hmm. There's no CAT scan, no MRI. There's there's nothing other than the set of symptoms. Mm -hmm. So when we have a symptom-based diagnosis, it's really important that we look at what are possible differential or other diagnoses that Mm -hmm. might cross with it. And interestingly enough, and not talked about enough, is that children that are suffering from sleep deprivation, so when they're not getting really good sleep, there's a 70% overlap between the symptoms of ADHD and how that presents and how children who are struggling with sleep, how that presents. And so with a 70% overlap, I think it's 100% worth it to investigate and go down that road of a differential diagnosis. Because for my son, we wound up medicating him unnecessarily Mm -hmm. for something that really wasn't his neurological uh, problems. It was more in the impact that the lack of sleep was doing on his development and his cognitive function. And so once we addressed that, we didn't need the medication anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that we we start having these conversations when we have something that is symptom-based. That way we can really look at what are the other options? What are the alternatives? Yeah. You know, two things popped into my head. The first is I'm a mental health and substance abuse counselor. And I did not know that. I did not know that there was 70% overlap. So that just tells like how much of a gap, even in education of formal education in diagnosing clients that I didn't know that. So that is truly, uh, I mean, just a token of why you said this needs to be a conversation that's happening a lot more. And the other piece that really was impactful is, you know, the medicating and over-medicating of ADHD, especially in adolescent um, boys, is substantial and is continuing to increase. And I think we've, as clinicians, we're looking at all these different pieces of like, oh, you know, it's the uh, gaming industry, it's too much screen time, it's the porn industry, like all these things that are really impacting youth and boys and, and girls, right? But at the same time, it's, we're not even talking about the sleep right? Like we're not talking about how much that impacts sleeping, right? Like the screens, the blue light, all these different things, not having good sleep hygiene. So um, 
you know, as you're saying this, I'm like, oh my goodness, this conversation is so much in the dark. And so I'm so glad that we're having it today. (laughs) Oh, I am so excited to be having it with you because it is important that we start putting these pieces together. For me, I found in my story that it came a little bit late because, you know, it's always a process when you're trying to get to what is this issue that your child is having, especially with ADHD. And so we were on a waiting list for six months to see Mm -hmm. a pediatric neurologist. We finally get in, we do this little questionnaire, boop, we're diagnosed, we get our prescription, and then we just start some medication. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into, you know, a year into our process, I fell into this world of myofunctional therapy. And at that point, I'm telling the pediatric neurologist when we went in for a check-in appointment, you know, I'm really looking to veer away from the medication. I want Mm -hmm. to dive into his sleep. And she looked at me and I am not kidding you, Caitlin. She looked at me and she said, well, why didn't you tell me he had sleep issues? Because then we could have explored that. That wasn't on this questionnaire that you had me fill out. We only oh spent my goodness. minutes together before right. he was giving me pills. So oh. it is a very important conversation that we, we start having, if nothing else, that way other parents can avoid that year that I wasted mm-hmm. having not even mentioned it because I didn't know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So if we take a step back from the ADHD kind of part and that that side of the journey, how does having poor sleep really impact a human, like productivity, our mental health, all these kind of aspects? How does it impact us? Oh, it impacts us in so many ways. I mean, sleep is essential. We all know that we spend about a third of our lives sleeping. And to be fully transparent, we don't know everything there is to know about sleep. We know mm-hmm. a lot about sleep, but the evolution of sleep, why our bodies need so much sleep, we haven't really gotten to pinpoint the exact reasons why. And we may never get to it. And that's mm-hmm. okay. There's some mystery and beauty in that. But what we do know about sleep is that sleep is when a lot of vital restorative functions happen within the body. So when we go to sleep, that is the only time the brain cleanses itself. We mm-hmm. have our kidneys, we have our liver, we have our lymphatic system. We have a lot of different systems within our body that help to cleanse while we're active throughout mm-hmm. the day. But our brain, the one that's like the powerhouse driving everything, it only cleanses itself of any sort of things through the blood-brain barrier at night when we're sleeping, mm. right? And that is only if the brain is able to prioritize that. But what we do know is that most important to our body above everything else is breathing. Mm-hmm. So when breathing is compromised, Now that becomes the primary focus of the body. We've got to keep our person alive, right? So we're not going to get the restorative functions of cleansing the brain, inputting memory, being able to, you know, restore our cognitive function, cell rejuvenation. We're not getting any of those wonderful restorative processes happening when we're not breathing appropriately because our body is just trying to sustain us. So when mm-hmm. we find that we're waking up in the morning and we feel unrestored and you, you wake up and you just feel so groggy and it's like, oh, you're dragging through the day. That's really a buildup of a lot of clutter within the brain. A lot of that stuff you never got to get drained out, memories you never got to input, and it really builds up almost like a plastic system. And so we find that that is related a lot of times for sleep and sleep deprivation to Alzheimer's and dementia and memory disorders. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like you were saying, there's, there's so much out there on sleep and yet it's such an odd topic for us because we don't like think about our sleep. Um, it's just something that we feel like we do. And, you know, to be honest, like in mental health, one of the main things that my clients will say is they'll come and they'll be presenting with, I'm having a hard time falling asleep. I'm having a hard time staying asleep. I'm having night terrors. I'm, you know, having all these things and we start to have this conversation, but I think too, we're not talking about breathing, right? We're not talking about this piece of um, really the sleep hygiene that is part of the breathing. We're talking about, you know, limiting screens and, and you know, doing mindfulness techniques before bed or things like that. Um, but it's, it's interesting to hear that you're right. Like the brain can't function and focus on all those other things when it's just trying to keep you alive. And so we start to think about this idea of like the CPAP machine and sleep apnea and Alzheimer's and all these, these um, diseases that we know of. And the CPAP machine, it's funny. Um, it runs in my family, like, uh, Sleep apnea. Yeah. I was like, I literally just said it sleep apnea. Um, and you know, my mom was on me. She was like, you should get tested because I was having a hard time sleeping. And you know, mine was more kind of stress related. And so, um, but when I was talking about that to them, it was, it was just kind of odd that, um, how much could be improved by getting more oxygen to your brain when you're sleeping, right? Like, again, you don't think of it. You're like, Oh yeah, it's just a process that happens and occurs. So it's, really profound to hear how many ways that your brain is trying to do this and trying to reset you. And I, one thing I learned recently, which I thought was really interesting too, is, is how, um, women and men's hormonal cycles work very differently and how men, it takes, you know, 24 hours for them to go through that full hormonal kind of reset and women, it takes that 28 days. And so if we think about that, if a woman is having a hard time sleeping, and they're taking 28 days, it can impact our cycles and fertility and all these other pieces that are really just astounding to think about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of the signs are are there and kind of in our face, but because it's become so commonplace for some of these things, we start to mistake them as normal, such as snoring. When you consider mm-hmm. snoring, the sound of snoring is really the sound of air meeting resistance as it's going in through the body, which is what the CPAP machine is really helping to do. Mm-hmm. That is CPAP stands for continuous positive airway pressure. So it's mm-hmm. really just forced air that's holding open your upper respiratory space. That way you can breathe without any resistance. Mm-hmm. And so we think of snoring, we're like, oh, it's cute. Or, oh, my husband snores or, oh, you know, and we say it like a passing thing. It's like, no. They're struggling to breathe and you're audibly hearing the struggle to breathe. And sometimes you'll hear the pause and the gap. That would be an apnea. Mm -hmm. And that would be really your ding, ding, ding alarm bells that, yes, it's time to to get checked because we don't want any of these pauses or stops in our breathing. Mm So, yeah, it's really, really important. And it does impact a lot for men and women alike. It's going to change everything. Right. So thinking about kind of the, as you said, like the CPAP and thinking about meeting that resistance, some of it is our tongue, correct? Like our tongue can go further back. So tell me, tell me about the role of the tongue in the human health. Tongue is so important. Uh, I think nobody thinks about their tongue Mm -hmm. and the tongue is often mischaracterized, I should say, mischaracterized as one large muscle. It's actually not. It is Mm -hmm. eight 
pairs of muscles. So it's 16 different muscles that innervate that tongue and get it to mobilize and engage. And what's really important is that we get our tongue to be up and out of the airway because our tongue is like this wonderful thick mass that can extend down like C6, C7. And what we need is to have it up and suction against the roof of the mouth when it's at rest. That's that day and that's at night. When it's up and suction against the roof of the mouth at rest, the body of the tongue gets up and out of the airway. So now you've got more space right Mm -hmm. in the oral pharynx. Mm -hmm. But then you also have stimulation of the vagus nerve. You're getting a lot of autonomic nervous system regulation. You're getting contact and stimulation for the floor of the nose because the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. Mm -hmm. And so that's helping you to facilitate better nasal breathing. So the tongue is actually a respiratory organ, as far as I'm concerned. It's not one large muscle. It Mm -hmm. is comprised of a bunch of muscles that really work to facilitate a task that helps us to breathe optimally. That's incredible. I did not know that either about the tongue. It's, you know, I never really thought about my tongue until I went to, um, (laughs) I mean, because why would you? But um, until I went to um, a Chinese medicine doctor, right? And they started looking at my tongue as far as some digestion issues that I was having. And they're talking about like heat and breathing. And it was crazy to me that they could tell so much from my tongue. And I think it just goes hand in hand with what you're talking about. If there's so much to do with this muscle that we just kind of write off as like, yeah, it's just there. So it's got our taste buds and that's what we use it for. Um, but there's so much more to it, which I love that you're saying. So I heard you say we have to get our tongue to that point of where it is resting. So how do we actively take a role in our sleep and getting our tongue where it needs to be? First step is being aware of where your tongue is at rest currently. So what I like to do is a quick one minute check. What we could do is we just put our feet flat on the ground. We sit up nice and tall. I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose. You're going to exhale back out through your nose. You're going to inhale again through your nose, exhale back out through your nose. We're going to do that one more time. And as you're doing it, I want you to just be aware in space, where is your tongue within your mouth? If it is up, lightly suction the tongue tip and the body of the tongue, you feel it against the entirety or as much of your palate that you can feel and perceive, that's fantastic. You have proper tongue left posture. If it's kind of floating in the middle of the mouth, or maybe the tip might be up, but the bottom and the back is like down, that's not proper posture. If it's very low and it's just along the lower arch of teeth, definitely not good tongue posture. So knowing where your tongue is, is the first step because that's going to give us, okay, what's the game plan? Mm -hmm. If you're already in good posture, awesome. You can probably optimize that just on your own, being very mindful. So when we're doing any sort of um, conscious breathing, so if you're meditating and you're really just taking control of your breath and you're doing breath work exercises, if that's a part of your practice, doing that with your tongue suctioned up to the roof of the mouth, really great way to start engaging those muscles and really ensuring that they stay up there. If you're struggling to get your tongue to get up there, or you feel like you just can't achieve a suction with the palate, It might be time to ask for some help from a myofunctional therapist and to get those muscles kind of worked out. I like to think of myofunctional therapists as like personal trainers. So you can kind of imagine us as personal trainers for all the muscles below the eyes, but above the shoulders. 
And so we're working to help to get awareness and strength and engage all of those muscles that you might be struggling to engage. And in some cases, there might be a tongue tie involved Mm -hmm. where there's that little string that most people probably ignore that's underneath their tongue that might be impairing your tongue from being able to elevate to the roof of the mouth. And so in that case, myofunctional therapists would work collaboratively with a release provider who would do the surgical release, and we would make sure that you're able to rehabilitate afterwards and get that tongue up where it should be. Wow. It's crazy to hear you say tongue tie when we're talking about adults as well. I feel like we don't really use that language besides with really newborn infants. Yeah. Yes. And we need to start having that conversation more too, because not being able to get the tongue up is going to affect your breathing or in the long run, because you won't be able to facilitate that extra space in the oral pharyngeal uh, area. You won't be able to stimulate that roof of the mouth with the vagus or the floor of the nose to get proper nasal breathing. And so, yes, it's important to talk about it for adults. Now, not everything that looks like a tongue tie is a tongue tie. If only if you are unable to achieve function, that it would be a tongue tie. But it is something that adults are getting released and they're feeling a lot of relief lower than even just the tongue. So we have that string of tissue is made of fascia. So Mm -hmm. fascia is wonderful connective tissue that wraps around a lot of the muscles. But this fascia, we have a deep line chain of fascia that actually collects next from our tongue all the way down to our toes. And so oftentimes people who are restricted in the tongue area, so their tongue is tied, when they're restricted there, that creates a tension along the entire chain. So they feel a lot of upper back and neck tension, almost chronically. Some of them might even have forward head posture, where they're unable to straighten out. And so the shoulders are a little more rolled forward because of the tightness along that chain. And so releasing a tongue tie actually has a lot of great benefits for breathing, yes, but also for a lot of the soft tissue and the body with posture and so forth and tension as well for adults. Wow. It's an, it's incredible to hear because I wouldn't really think that there could be full body connect, you know, every obviously we're very connected our entire body, but full body implications of not addressing a tongue tie or not paying attention to the position of your tongue. Like these are really things that are kind of a mindset shift, but so incredibly important with our functioning. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think when people think about their muscles, I, this conversation, now they'll start thinking about it differently. It's not about those six pack abs. It's about making sure you've got a really strong tongue. I love that. I could focus on the tongue all day then because I can't get the six pack abs. So I understand that piece. (laughs) Um, And I would way rather focus on my tongue, right? Because we're talking about breathing and functioning our brain and these different pieces in our body. So as we're talking about all these pieces that connect and we've talked a little bit about our brain and how um, our breathing is impacting that. And obviously our muscles are everything is ruled by our brain. What are some unknown blocks that can happen in the brain that are affect can affect productivity? Ooh, there can be psychological blocks. A lot of times we have certain traumas or triggers that can impair us from getting any sort of forward progress and movement forward. That's going to automatically 
shut you down for being able to even make progress if you are working with a myofunctional therapist, if you are working with a traditional therapist or a physical therapist, you're, you're not going to get any sort of forward progress when there's a trauma hold. Um, a lot of people do tend to hold trauma within certain areas of the body. Sometimes there's a tension where the manual therapists are trying to release stuff mm-hmm. and they will communicate with the myofunctional therapist and say, hey, have you been working on these certain muscles because it feels so tight and tense? And then you find out that there was a traumatic injury in that certain area or something happened. And so psychological barriers will absolutely prevent people from being able to make that next forward step. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's physical barrier. So physical barriers, if the craniofacial structure, so the skull, if the skull has not developed appropriately to facilitate you being able to get that tongue in that space. Some people have these very small, tiny dental arches that did not grow as wide as we would have liked them. And so the tongue almost appears to be too big for the mouth. That's Mm going to give a lot of a lot of negative feedback because you're not going to be able to interact with a lot of the cranial nerves that you can stimulate through that connection with the tongue to the palate. So yes, it connects with the vagus nerve, but you also get connection with the trigeminal and the hypoglossal, glossopharyngeal. Like there's a lot of different places where you can really connect with your body and get a lot of sensory perception back up towards the brain. So there's a lot of different areas where we can have these barriers that won't give you any progress until they're first addressed. So if it's psychological, you definitely want to address the trauma specialist. And if it's a structural or physical barrier, you definitely want to see someone who can intervene, whether it be a surgical intervention or an appliance intervention with a dental specialist. I think that's very important. I kind of wanted to touch on that piece because I figured you were going to say something about that kind of trauma um, piece. And I think that having that interdisciplinary team in your life is always so important. And so I love that you're talking about working with a a therapist if needed, a traditional therapist, working with a myofunctional therapist, working with a um, physical therapist, all these different aspects, because we are, like we're just saying, so interconnected and all of these things. I mean, my goodness, a little little itty-bitty part on your tongue is connected to your entire body, right? Like logically we understand that but when we really hone in it's astounding to see how much we kind of set aside as just automatic and we don't think about it and we just put these processes of yes i i hit the you know my head hits the pillow at night and i'm asleep and i breathe and i function and i wake up and then i'm active and conscious about what i'm doing we it's not as simple as that nope it never ever is yeah Wow. So with the idea of tongue ties, if we take this to back to, to infants, because I heard you say at the beginning, you had um, challenges with breastfeeding and, and I have a lot of mamas that listen to my show. So I know that that's a really big challenge with tongue tie. And I'm just curious, what are some of kind of your recommendations and information about tongue tie with infants? Because I feel like nowadays, and, and this just is, 100% an opinion of my own, not validated by anything else, um, is that every single infant has a tongue tie nowadays. You're told constantly that that's the reason that breastfeeding is a challenge or, you know, all these different languages a challenge or these other pieces. So I'm curious kind of what your thoughts um, and advice around that are. Yeah, I do believe that there is a lot more 
um, a, a lot more providers who are being able to identify and to accurately convey to parents that, yes, hey, there's something going on. It's that next step that really makes the difference, though, because there needs to be a step in between that provider who might be looking and just feel a tongue tie in the infant's mouth, and then the provider who then does the surgical release of that. So when we're thinking about these infants, we need to think about breastfeeding as a unit. So it's not just the baby and perhaps the baby can't latch. It's the mother. There's a maternal instinct and issue that might be there as well. So sometimes we have poor production because when we don't have a good latch, nothing's being stimulated. Uh, there's a lot of trauma with birth and labor. And, you know, we don't know where we're meeting some of these moms by the mm -hmm. time we're seeing them after the baby is born. So post labor, who knows what happened or what went the way that they envisioned or they believed that it would go during the pregnancy. Who knows what happened during the labor, the delivery? Who knows how things are going now that they have met this child? Are they bonding with the child naturally? Is this breastfeeding just another thing on the list of things that have gone wrong? So now they're searching for any sort of answer, any sort of answer, because everything may have been kind of out of their hands so far. You've lost so much control, right? Mm -hmm. So that could be, it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Just like with the ADHD that we talked about earlier, I like right. a differential. Mm -hmm. I like a differential diagnosis all the time. And so the next step should really be seeing a functional provider, so whether it's an early feeding specialist or a lactation consultant, mm -hmm. if they're seeing an IBCLC, that should be the next step. Get a professional to really get in there and to see how the latch is working, how that dyad is working together. What are the tricks that the mom can do that might help baby latch better? Because sometimes it's not just the appearance of the tie, it's the actual function of the tongue. And so these providers have exercises. They'll be able to help and facilitate better tuck training for this baby. Perhaps that's what the baby needs first. And then if that all fails, and by fail, I mean, you know, you've tried it, maybe you've given it a couple of sessions. It's not when babies failure to thrive, that's way too late. It's You've tried a couple of sessions and it just isn't working out, then definitely go and get a surgical release because that might be definitely what's causing that roadblock, right? But I don't want anybody to really jump straight to, so, you know, baby comes out the womb, look, oh, there's a tongue tie, and then head straight over to an ENT or a dentist to release that. There are steps that you got to take first. We got to make sure that everybody's mental health is okay. We have to make sure that everybody is able to work together on the function because just changing the structure does not change the function. So just because baby has more ability to mobilize the tongue doesn't mean that they know how to really adequately latch on and use that tongue. So it's very important that we get another little step in there. And I'm so happy that you mentioned that because I think that is a very important thing that not enough people are talking about. It does seem like almost all the babies have tongue ties. But mm -hmm. once we get in there and we really start to look at what's going on with function, we might find that maybe we can prevent some families from going through this surgical procedure. Absolutely. I love that. I think that just like you were talking earlier about having other options besides medication for ADHD, same with the baby, right? Like we're talking about trauma and a surgical procedure, regardless of what it is, can have 
be traumatic for a little infant that doesn't quite understand. I mean, it can be traumatic for anybody going to the dentist is still traumatic for me. So it's still, you know, like there's, there's challenges that anybody can face. Um, so I like that you said we're putting this extra step in there, right? We're addressing all the levels that we're functioning on. We're looking at our mental health. We're looking at the physical challenges and also figuring out, are there other ways around this besides that surgical piece? I think that's really important. Um, and I think at the same time, like you're saying, we're setting up our, our kiddos for success if we're having those conversations because we're getting it taken care of and getting those things addressed so that like you're saying, we're not having them years down the road as adults coming. Oh, wow. Maybe I do have a tongue type. Maybe that's why my posture is so terrible. Maybe that's why I'm on a CPAP machine because I'm not able to have the proper posture for my tongue. I think it's, you're showing such a encompassing piece of why myofunctional therapy is really, really important and not as mainstream as it should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we've covered a lot. If you have kind of one golden nugget for our listeners, what would you say is a place for them to start today or a takeaway? Biggest thing you can do is to optimize your nose for breathing. A lot of people struggle with just keeping their nose nice and open and patent, especially as we wind into colder months and colder seasons, Mm -hmm. we're going to find that, yes, you're going to be more congested, especially if you're in weather that the seasons do change. Some people, you know, in wonderful climates where it's more tropical, maybe don't have (laughs) these issues. But for for the rest of us, what you could do is you could start with a simple nasal hygiene routine. So take a saline rinse or spray, use a saline irrigation system. Uh, Some people like the neti pot, just to reference one where the irrigating system, you would get all of the liquid to flow up one nostril, it comes out the other, it cleans out really well. That's going to give you a really good start for your evening to optimize how much patency you have in that nose. You want to clear out everything, get all the gunk out of there. We clean almost everywhere else in our body. And we know that breathing is so important. And so I think the best takeaway you can have is to clean that nose on a daily basis, at least once a day before bed. If you want a gold star, you're doing it right when you wake up in the morning and before bed, at least Mm -hmm. twice a day. Wow. Okay. I never would have thought about that. Now we know we have our neti pots. Oof, man, the neti pot, but I'll do it if it's for my health. Right. I know I just had that reaction. I was like, oh man, when I do the neti pot and I'm sick, it's not fun, but again, sleep those beautiful benefits. I love that takeaway. Um, and thank you so much for coming on and sharing such important, valuable information with our listeners. Um, for our listeners, thank you so much for spending your time with us. I know it's valuable and I appreciate you guys spending your time here with us. I'm going to put all of Carissa's information in the episode notes so that you can get in contact with her, check out all of her stuff, check out her new book. I'm very excited to read it myself. And again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.